Welcome to The Cannabis Question, a marijuana science and culture podcast from the state of Pennsylvania to the rest of the nation and the world. Well, thanks for joining me today. I'm your host, Scott Goddard, and on today's Daily Sesh, we're going to talk about THCA and decarboxylation. First, uh, starting with THCA, we'll go through what makes it a unique cannabinoid and why it seems to be in every or at least almost any product you purchase. After that, we'll take a look at a little bit of the science of decarboxylation and why it's important to understand for dosing and how it affects each product and how we absorb those products. So, to start off, let's take a look at THCA. Now, if you've bought a product recently from the medical market or from the rec market and you have some decent labs on the back, you may have noticed that there's often a lot of THCA or a little bit of THCA. There seems to be at least some amount of THCA in a lot of products you get. Now, I've seen it in some cartridges where it's like 30 and 50, where THCA isn't the dominant number. I've seen it in some concentrates where it's like 87% THCA and only like 1% THC. And I've seen flour, which kind of looks that same way, where there's sort of goofy ratios and it does beg the mind to question what's going on? You know, what is this THCA? We all generally know we're looking for THC, tetrahydrocannabinol. So, what is this whole THC with this A at the end? What does it do and why should we be concerned? Well, THCA is a version of THC, it's actually sort of a precursor molecule, as they might call it. Now, they both qualify as cannabinoids, which really just means when you take in THCA or THC, your body absorbs them both, and they both are going to function actually pretty similarly once you get it in the body. But I would say that they're similar and not the same, because one of the big differences in the two is that THC generally creates that feeling that we all associate with marijuana use, you know, that high, that euphoria, the headspace that we're often renting out after we consume. But THCA does not create that. THCA is the acidic version of THC, and although it does go in and bind similarly into the body and create a host of effects, things like uh, pro-immunity effects, antibacterial effects, there's actually a lot of overlap. But the biggest difference is, is that THCA doesn't seem to create or encourage that same level of like feeling high or stoned or inebriated that THC does. Now that may not come as too much of a surprise to some of you, but when you look on some products and you see that on the back, it says that, you know, it's over 80% THCA and maybe 1% THC, you have to wonder, you know, is it that 1% THC all I'm really taking in that's creating that effect? Why have THCA at all if all it is is going to give me sort of this general benefit, uh, this feeling of well-being, but in no way this headspace that we look for? Being the acidic form of THC, a good way to think about it is it's a very unstable molecule. So it is a, a different form. It sort of has extra. Some people like to think of it sort of like a like a key blank before you get it cut. It has too much meat on it still, too much sort of surface area. So if you were to st try to use a key blank in a sort of lock cylinder and twist it, it wouldn't work because it isn't cut to the right profile. You know, there's too much material. And in this way, 
THCA is like an uncut key, it doesn't really turn on the same receptor that we're looking for when we want to get that inebriated sort of head effect. So when you're looking to get stoned, you really want THC. And thankfully, THCA is so unstable that it's pretty easy to get it to turn into THC to cut the right profile on the key, if to continue the metaphor, and THC then will be what we can stick into that certain lock and turn and get that sort of creative, euphoric, psychedelic, sometimes headspace that we're often looking for, that traditional feeling from THC. Generally, if you were to eat cannabis in its raw form, you're generally eating mostly THCA. Uh, the plant actually only makes THCA. THC is sort of what happens after it's made. So it's a byproduct, you know, it's a downgraded version in some ways of THCA. The way the plant grows, it first makes a molecule called CBGA, cannabigerol, or the acidic version of cannabigerol. And that's the first cannabinoid it makes. Cannabigerol turns into THCA and CBDA. And then, of course, once we get it, we can change that A, the acidic form, down to a more stable form that's non-acidic. And that's the form that's really going to give us what we want. Generally, whenever we're getting the plant itself, if you're ever using any live concentrates, things that have been flash frozen and have been preserved, you're going to run into a lot more THCA, a lot more of the acidic version of these molecules than you would run into the active version, the just normal THC. And that is what brings us over to decarboxylation. The only thing I could think, you know, there's and there's a couple of uses, but one of the best uses for THCA if you're going to use it as a medicating substance or something that you want to benefit the body, you know, think of it like a vitamin or like a vegetable. It's something you can take in and it will provide benefit, but generally you don't, you know, eat spinach and get some crazy head effect. You don't eat a carrot and, you know, lose your mind. So no real worries about eating your cannabis in its raw form and getting any effect. I mean, it's probably not going to be the greatest thing on the palate, but you can eat it and still get most of the same effects just without the headspace. Once you decarb or decarboxylate your cannabinoids, they then become active. So the process of losing the acidic THCA and turning into THC is called decarboxylation. And from a chemistry side, decarboxylation happens to a bunch of different molecules. What it really means is there is, well, there is carboxylation and there's decarboxylation. What it usually is dealing with is the carboxyl group. And an easy way to understand what that is, is you have carb for carbon and oxyl for oxygen. So the carboxyl group is usually carbon dioxide. Sometimes there's a hydrogen atom on there as well. So it's, you know, CO2, something we're all really familiar with breathing in and breathing out sort of things. And we know that plants process CO2 with photosynthesis. When you decarb something, you remove the CO2. And when you're decarbing cannabis and the cannabinoid molecules themselves, you'll have this unstable THC molecule with an extra CO2 attached to it that makes it acidic. And ideally, you're just bumping that off. You're removing that carboxyl group, and then you end up decarboxylating your cannabis. Now, that's important because obviously, if you want to take in the cannabis and have it affect you, you want to decarb it. So it's a process that a lot of people are familiar with who already make edibles because it comes up huge in the edible world. 
Um, you have to decarb the raw plant to be able to eat it and have it work in the body. So if you were to eat just the raw flour without anything done to it, you wouldn't get much effect in your headspace, if any at all. But if you were to decarb your weed first, you would start to get the effect. So how do you decarboxylate your cannabis? How do you remove that CO2? Best way is to use heat, gentle heat. You know, there's four main forces that fight cannabis, heat, sunlight, time, and temperature. And any one of those forces on its own are going to decarb the cannabis. It's going to help remove that acidic CO2 group from it. But it takes a long time, you know, uh, if you leave it out, uh, if you let the sun just kind of illuminate it for long enough, uh, not much is going to happen. You need, you might be there for weeks waiting for it to convert over because it takes a while. Usually when we decarb cannabis, we're doing it in a much more aggressive process. So what a lot of people do at home, sort of the basic, most simple way to approach it is you would grind up all of your raw flour and put it on like a baking sheet, you know, simply on some aluminum foil or parchment paper, and you would end up putting it in the oven for somewhere between 45 minutes to 90 minutes maybe, and you would run it around 190 to 220. And if you do that, then it will slowly, you know, one, your place of living will smell like cannabis, but it will help decarb it, and you usually get somewhere between 16 to 80% of what you have there decarbed. Now, the hotter you run it, the longer you run it, you might actually start to degrade the cannabis further into other cannabinoids and other complexities, which again, do react to the body, but it does change the effect. So even if you burn food, you can still eat it and get something from it. It's just not what you're looking for all the time. So generally, that's why a lot of people stick between 190 and 220 or 225 uh, Fahrenheit. That is not Celsius. So it's right around boiling point of water, if you think about it, because that's 212. Now that will help decarb it for the most part, and you'll get most of it decarbed. And then usually what people do, especially if you're in the edibles world, is they might take that grind and put it into butter and microwave it or lightly warm that on the stovetop to try to encourage the oil to remove itself from the plant matter. So it's kind of a two-step process for a lot of folks. They'll decarb it first by cooking it in the oven, and then they might have to remove it from the plant all the oils because they don't necessarily want to eat the actual physical plant matter, especially now that it's been baked for a while, it may not taste great after all that. But there are other ways to decarb. They make devices uh, where you can just put your cannabis inside of it, you close it. It's, you know, sort of a smell proof operation. And I can say, you know, it's a lot less smelly than your oven. It, you'll still be able to know what's going on if you're in that room, but it just makes the process a lot easier where it'll decarb it for you. You get maybe even a better yield and penetration for that decarbing process. And you end up just having your cannabis left over ready to process for edibles or what have you. So when you decarb in that way, it takes a lot of the guesswork out. You don't have to worry about burning it in the oven or cooking it too long or forgetting about it. Uh, you know, you don't want to burn yourself on a tray or dump it by accident into something else. So there's a couple of different ways you can approach decarbing. Now, a lot of the other products we get when we see that there's a ratio of THC and THCA, it gives us a little bit of information as far as what's going on with the product because it's going to tell us exactly how they produced it and what processes they may have used. So if I see it like a live concentrate, and I believe I may have one within arm's reach just a moment. 
All right. And here I have a phenomenal concentrate from Prime Wellness called Kundos D number 13 Live Resin, the Tree Sap Fino, of course. And it's a one gram of dabs. And it literally has no THC. It is all THCA at 82.772%. But this uh, Kundos D, it has almost no THC. So a lot of the products, when you have them and they're live or they're raw, when you get them, they're still no THC or very little. And what I know is going to happen is I'll take this product and I'll put it into my rig. And as soon as I hit it with heat, heat being one of the best ways to decarb, I'll lose that carboxyl group and I'll breathe it in, in an active form where it can actually affect me and give me the headspace I want. Now, it's not a perfect equation. Generally, I'm probably only going to get somewhere between 50 and 80% of what I actually put into my dab rig. It may be one reason why I go towards lower temp dabs. I might not get as much vapor, but I will be preserving some of the damage I may do to the cannabinoids and terps, just given the high heat application. The product itself, you know, they have no THC in here, which means they didn't use heat almost at any point in time when they were processing this product. This was processed pretty much cold the whole time. As a result, I know it's live. I know it's been well-preserved as a live product. If I were to see that there's more THC and in distillate, in RSO, you're going to see usually the other way where it's almost all THC, no THCA. That tells you that they decarbed it, which means at some point they had to cook or heat or boil the whole jar of extract to be able to thoroughly decarb the whole thing and make sure that it's all been activated. Now that isn't a problem in my mind. If you if you already decarb my THCA, it's not like an offensive thing, but it does tell me that it's already been heated and that may change some of the flavor that could change a little bit of the effect. But at the end of the day, it's going to be something I do to the product anyway. Now we may not all want to smoke a twice baked potato. We may all just want it to be baked once only so I can understand that some folks out there may not want products that have been decarbed if you're going to end up smoking them or vaping them or dabbing them. And that's because it's already been heated. So now you're double heating it and you're kind of losing even more to the recipe. A lot of folks out there maybe just want live products and flour in its raw form so they can do the decarbing by heating it with a lighter or heating it with a vape pen or a dab rig. And to each their own, they're both going to be helpful and they both create a host of effects which are desirable. You then, of course, have people who may only want to consume it in its acidic form, and that's going to suit them well because there's plenty of people out there who can't afford to have the headspace. You have some parents with kids, and they don't necessarily want to get their kids high. That makes anybody feel you know, that they're not doing the right thing. Even if you're a huge advocate, sometimes it speaks loudest when you have to give it to a loved one, and now you feel the stigma hitting you and telling you, oh, I shouldn't do this, this is bad. So if a person can at least benefit from cannabis in some way, shape, or form, but they can't afford the headspace, it may work out that you just grind up the raw flour, throw it in a capsule, and put it down the hatch. That way, they at least get some benefit from this plant, as opposed to just having to ignore the whole thing because of the paranoia they get or the high that they get uh, that they might be trying to avoid. So it's something worth keeping in mind, just another way to find more uses from the plant. And it's also something that you should keep in mind when you're thinking about eating the plant, the kind of processing you have to do, decarbing it, whether or not it's going to change the way the effects are, 
whether or not it's going to allow you to be better affected by that plant and by that recipe. And, you know, as you cook and you think about what that tray of brownies looks like, where the middle's a different temperature than the edges, and how decarbing works in that way, you'll be able to better predict and describe some of the things you're looking for and some of the things that may have happened. On that note, I'll leave you to it. I thank you for joining me once again on an episode of The Cannabis Question. Be sure to check us out online. The Instagram page is at The Cannabis Question. So feel free to jump in there, add some likes, subscribe, hit all the buttons, bells, and whistles that you can find. And until next time, I hope you stay well and medicated. Take it easy.